when you hear the West and those who are advancing uh, this alien practice saying LGBT members are being persecuted or are being hated, it's not correct. They're not hating the people that are practicing it, they're hating the practice. And this mm. must be understood clearly. Hey, my friends, I wanted to give you an inside look into politics inside of East Africa, where, I mean, you know, we just saw Uganda has passed and now signed this law, this anti-homosexuality bill, as they called it. And there's a lot of fluff in the media as to what that's about. And I wanted to give you an inside look from an actual member of parliament in Africa. And this is a member of parliament that I'm going to bring you today. His name is Ashems Songwe. He's from Malawi. He's actually the one of the leading pro-life, pro-family uh, politicians in Malawi. Malawi. He's also uh, one of the representatives to the ACP-EU uh, treaty, and that is the African, Caribbean, and Pacific uh, together with the European Union. So I want to give you this inside glimpse so you can hear for yourself what the politicians in Africa think about this legislation and about the attack on the family coming from the West. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hey, my friends, now is the time to stand up and fight. We are just about to have the Synod on Synodality, and everything that you've seen indicates that it's going to be an absolute disaster. We have Father James Martin as a personal appointee of the Pope speaking at it. We've got Cardinal Supich, Cardinal Tobin. These picks of the Pope to engage in this synod are indicative of where we're going. We're going into heresy. And at these times of great crisis, the church, especially those called in the laity to work for the glory of Christ and his church, are called to gather and strategize. Back in 2014, LifeSite launched something called Rome Life Forum. It was a gathering at that point of some 75 life and family leaders from all around the world to strategize as to what we could do. And when we gathered, the majority of people were most concerned about what? About Pope Francis, about what was going on in Rome. But this was 2014, but the life and family leaders saw it first. Now, a decade on, we are confronted with some of the most severe challenges the church has ever faced. And so our tradition at LifeSite is to continue with Rome Life Forum, which has continued every year until we had to take a break over COVID because we weren't permitted. But we're starting it up again. And this year, Cardinal Muller and Bishop Athanasius Schneider are going to be joining us. Please come, if you feel so called, to Rome, October 31st and November 1st, the very end of the Synod on Synodality, and uh, we'll be there to strategize with His Eminence, with His Excellency, and with many life and family leaders from around the world. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. Honorable Ashram Songway, welcome to the program. Thank you very much again, John Henry, for this opportunity uh, that you've made available uh, this evening for us to have um, uh, an interaction. Beautiful. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Honorable Songway, 
there is much talk in the West about what's going on in Africa, especially in Southeast Africa, where you are there in Malawi. Tell us, if you can, about the passage of the bill in Uganda and uh, what kind of effect that's having on the rest of Africa. Yeah, indeed, John Henry, as you have indicated, um, uh, most recently, there has been a new wave uh, on uh, sweeping on the eastern and central and southern African uh, part of the African continent, more so as it relates to the uh, the stand that the lawmakers, whom I would describe as progressive lawmakers, uh, pro-life lawmakers, trying to take in defending uh, the family, in defending the principles of life as designed and ordained uh, by God, and uh, uh, looking at the event in Uganda, it's a phenomenal. And I think Uganda has set a standard that uh, every other country on the African continent will now be uh, desiring to apply and to make sure it happens in their own country. You would recall that in the parliament of Uganda, a, a private member, uh, a, a private member in the sense that he, the bill that was introduced in Uganda did not come from the executive, did not come from the cabinet. It came from a private member, was able to move a bill that, in summary, bans uh, uh, the practice of uh, same-sex marriages. And it uh, comes with the related offenses and punishments for such offenses. So, indeed, uh, what has happened in Uganda Everybody has been talking about it, that indeed it is something that we need to be considering uh, in other national parliaments. Uh, suffice to say that the, the decision taken by the Ugandan parliament and eventually the signing into a law by the president, it should not be uh, taken lightly. It has got serious uh, uh, implications on the country of Uganda in the eyes of the West, in the eyes of the donors. But uh, I am uh, encouraged to see that uh, President uh, Kaguta Yoweli Seven is so determined and bold that he has been able to tell the West to say, look here, this is our country. You cannot tell us what to do and how to do it. That mm -hmm. which we feel, we feel it's fit for this country. We should be able to do that without any much interference. You know, one of the things that the the West, I, I think some of the people in the West still don't believe is the strong arm tactics that the United States, Canada, Europe use against Africa to stop them from following what is their own faith in God and the scriptures, their own cultural heritage, the the West tries to enforce their own version of, you know, their faith, their cultural heritage onto Africa uh, in a way that really they, and there's some of the same people that, that scream about, you know, be, uh, safeguarding people's own cultural traditions. And yet they are forcing the really backwards cultural tradition of the West onto Africa. If you can tell us about that. You are on spot that um, what is happening by the West in terms of um, imposing Western culture, uh, uh, exporting 
uh, foreign culture onto the African continent. It's nothing uh, uh, less than a neo-colonialization, you know, in a way that you're still trying to dictate uh, in terms of what gets to be done and how it gets to be done and when it gets to be done. Uh, at this uh, modern age, it is unacceptable. On this particular issue regarding the same-sex marriage and the banning of it in Uganda, and I'm, I'm sure many other countries are going to be considering it, what I find very uh, hypocritical and very unfortunate is the fact that in the Middle East, in the Arabic countries, the penalties that are there are very extreme very extreme death penalty for anybody engaged in same-sex marriages. And you tend to wonder, in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar, in the United Arab of Emirates, but we have never heard the West leaders saying anything, not, let alone the threat coming out with uh, threats about uh, sanctions. And we tend to wonder when they apply selective, I wouldn't say justice, but selective management of these issues. They want to treat Africa as if like, you know what, we're going to uh, force down your throat anything we want because you still depend on us for aid. And for mm -hmm. the Middle East, because they are economically independent, I, I guess they don't have any leeway, they don't have advantage. So the point is, is it the justice they want to pursue, or it is simply because they hold the purse and they think because they are holding the purse, they can dictate anything to whosoever receives their aid? Is that what we mm -hmm. want to be reading by this selective handling of the issue? You would have loved exactly. to hear the West coming very strong, condemning the same practice that is being done uh, in the Middle East, because this issue is a taboo. This issue is a no, is, is a no nonsense issue. It cannot be allowed in any way in the Middle East, let alone in um, Muslim um, uh, countries. But when mm -hmm. independent sovereign states are exercising their right to determine what is good for their nation, and then you hear the West crying the loudest. Yet when we are grappling with other serious challenges, for example, we have poor infrastructure maybe in schools or in health facilities. These are the real social problems, socioeconomic problems that we would have loved them to be getting more concerned, but they don't pay much attention. They really want us to be apportioning our time our energies, stopping everything, and to tackle a problem that is being deliberately induced. This is not by nature. This is something that is it's a lifestyle that somebody wants to pursue. And to some extent, it is to do with people having dysfunctionality as a result of their bringing or as a result of the environment, which can be corrected by rehabilitation. 
and not be mm -hmm. encouraged to continue because it is an abnormality. I'm aware of a study that was done by MIT. They start, we know they think I took a sample of about 500, I think, DNA or chromosome. I mean, to study the chromosomes, the way they would behave, X and Y chromosomes, to look at the probability or at, under what circumstances would the same chromosomes get attracted to each other. And that study showed that the chances were very, very thin, very, very narrow chances. The only factors under which these chromosomes would be attracted to each other would be the environment. And that means the pressure, pressure, peer pressure, coping or uh, all other manner of um, external forces. But it's not something that is inborn. It's not something that is part of a human being when they are born. In other ways, this yeah. is a problem that, sick, that must be cured and not be encouraged to continue. It is a problem. And the West need to understand it in that context. And if only the West could just understand it from the context of this is a sovereign nation, they can do what they want, we shouldn't be interfering. And if they're choosing to be the global police on everything they want, why not start with some of the massive persecutions that's going on, as you mentioned, uh, in the uh, Muslim countries uh, against Catholics and Christians everywhere, also in China. But they don't say a word about these massive atrocities going on there. They have their pet project here with this and uh, want to, as you said, uh, they're, they're neo-colonizing again. It's just unbelievable. But tell us about Malawi. You're in, you're in Malawi. How is the passage of the Ugandan law affecting you there? And what's going on with the whole scene or attack against the family in, in Malawi? What has taken place in Uganda is indeed having an impact uh, in Malawi. Uh, the passing of the bill in Uganda comes at the backdrop of when the, the courts in Malawi have been uh, moved to, uh, to make judgment on the application that has been done by a couple. One is a transgender in Malawian and another one, uh, a German national, I think. They have gone to the court that indeed uh, uh, they want the court uh, to agree with them that it, it is acceptable uh, for people of the same sex uh, to enter into marriage. To some of us as lawmakers, we see it as testing the waters. Those who are advancing these foreign, these alien ideologies, they're trying to use a back door. They're trying so to force the hand of the court to legitimize by saying, yes, it is acceptable, so that uh, they can walk away with a case law. Because they know laws must be passed in parliament, but not always that laws would, would, would come from parliament, but also laws would come from the courts when they make a ruling, a, whether a, a class ruling or you know, a very, very unique ruling on something that was controversial. And in the manner they pass, it becomes acceptable as a law. And I think this is the idea that is being pursued by the people by uh, advancing these alien, uh, unacceptable, and the foreign ideologies 
I don't have any better word to say, except to say mm -hmm. this is a problem. The way to cure this problem is people must seek help. They need to be rehabilitated. They need mm -hmm. to receive therapy, you know, to help them with their mind, to help them with a lifestyle change, because it cannot happen. It's abnormal. As a mm -hmm. Christian, uh, uh, as a Christian myself, and indeed as a Christian nation, uh, uh, Malawi, this is unacceptable. And I know for a fact the legislature, they are watching keenly in terms of what is happening uh, at the court and the reason probably uh, both the executive and the court and the legislature have not come out early to pronounce uh, themselves is because of the respect for the separation of powers. Since the mm. matter is in court, it hasn't yet been uh, adjudicated, so you, you can't be seen to be preempting uh, or uh, being uh, prejudiced uh, on such a case. Do you have any understanding of um, you know, who might be behind such a move to try and move it in through the court system rather than through the legislature? And what plans do uh, pro-life, pro-family members of parliament have in case the court rules the wrong way on this question? The practice itself is alien, it's foreign. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not in, in our culture, it's not in our tradition, and it's not in our religious practice. So because it's foreign, obviously it has come from outside. There could be uh, organizations that are ready to provide resources to make sure these things get uh, acceptable or get legalized in this part of the, uh, uh, the world. So uh, I, would, uh, I would like to believe that there are uh, foreign agents, foreign entities that are probably using local people uh, to make it as if it's a local, uh, as if it's a local affair, but it is you know, an issue that's coming from outside. And it has been well calculated, as I've just indicated. It's a well calculated move when uh, to uh, to stage it and how to uh, uh, to pursue it, like by coming through the courts. Now, amongst the parliamentarians, uh, many of the parliamentarians are watching uh, this uh, particular case with keen interest. And some of them have made it very clear in the unlikely event that the courts pass a judgment that seemed to accept, to uh, endorse or, or validate the same marriage sex. The parliament would be waste no time than to come up with a bill that would be banning uh, such a practice. So that's the kind of showdown that you can be expecting. So, but as mm -hmm. I said, the uh, parliament is not saying this in an official way, because Parliament doesn't want to be accused that it has been uh, prejudiced in terms of you know interfering while a matter is uh, before the courts. One of the things that in the West people are trying to paint anyone who would be against same-sex marriage as haters and, and bigots um, and such. How would you respond to such accusations? All those who are making all these arguments, they are premising it on the basis of human rights. 
But when you have a chance to go through the Human Rights Charter of the UN, uh, you don't come across the issue of same-sex marriage being a right. First of all, we need to make sure this is not a right, it is a wrong. And the way we must correct it is by making sure people who are practicing this, they need help. They should be given help. They can't be uh, excommunicated from the community. No, we need to embrace them. We need to give them the moral support, the spiritual support. We need to encourage them uh, to get help. Yeah, it's an altruistic approach, which is, I mean, it's so different from what we hear in the West. It, it's it's always painted as something, oh, they hate them, they want to kill them all. And yet it's not. It's not even about excluding them from the community. It's about granting them the help they need. They need to thrive in life, in God's law and in man's law. Because we also know, I mean, the funny thing is here in the West, all the studies that were done actually at one point many years ago that show the harm of homosexual sexual acts, it's very real harm. That behavior is so harmful for the human body. And yet it's not talked about. And it's recognized now seemingly only in the African countries, perhaps the, the Saudi you know, the um, Muslim countries as well. But it's amazing. I was just in, um, late last year, I was just in Uganda and in Kenya. And there too, it's always the same approach. One of care and concern for individuals who have this disordered attraction to help them. But, you know, if you can believe it, in Canada, in the United States, and much of Europe, help for these people who want to live normal lives, who want to come out of same-sex attraction, same-sex behavior, that kind of help by psychologists is illegal. You know that here on LifeSite, we love to tell amazing stories. There are a few so heroic and amazing as the story we're about to tell you that's coming soon. You gotta watch this. When I was in seminary, I was reading a book by Henry Nouwen. He talked about a nuclear man, you know, and people who grew up in the 1980s were kind of formed by that immediate and constant threat of nuclear annihilation. My generation has grown up, you know, under the specter of priestly sexual abuse. What say you, Mr. Poor Person? Is the defendant guilty or not guilty? I think that for many of us, that has also been all-encompassing, you know, I mean, I entered the seminary in January of 2004, and it's basically been there for me from the beginning. One priest's sacrifice for many priestly sins. The story of Father John Hollowell. Coming soon from LifeSite News. I want to speak with clarity. When you hear the West and those who are advancing uh, this alien practice saying LGBT members are being persecuted or are being hated, it's not correct. What is correct is people abhor the practice, not the people. It is the practice, the behavior which the community is abhorring, which the community is hurting. It's not hurting the people.
who are practicing it. It is the practice itself. That's why the community are saying, look, we are ready to embrace you, to help, to make sure you get the help. So you can be, stay normal, if I can use the word. They are not hating the people that are practicing it. They are hating the practice. And think this mm -hmm. must be understood clearly. We are against the practice. It is alien. It is against the will of God. You know, when God created man, he created him, uh, man and, uh, and woman. He created them. Okay. When God created human beings, he made them man and a woman. Adam and Eve. He did not create John and James. He did not create Jane and Jennifer. He created mm -hmm. a male and a female for a purpose of procreation. Yeah. So we can dominate and have dominion over the universe. And with the same-sex marriage, it is actually going against what God had designed and what God wants to happen to mankind. People are going through uh, medical operations to alter their uh, identities, gender identity, to alter. And the a lot of them come back with serious uh, complications. Even those who have altered so that it may be they could be able to appear as a woman and to conceive. It doesn't happen. It has never happened. And I remember uh, the late uh, President Robert Mugabe, and God should, uh, may his soul continue to rest in peace. You know, he, he said, if you want to practice same-sex marriage, I will have to lock you up in a cell in your pairs for nine months, and after nine months, we want to see whether you'll be able to conceive. And that's the only, uh, the only point I'll be able to endorse and accept this in my country. And that was the late Mugabe of Zimbabwe. I should be very frank with you, uh, John Henry. I think the message, the church, the pro-life movements, the pro-life crusaders, the youth, what we should make it very clear is that we are not hating the individuals that have been enslaved, have been caught up in this world. We are hating the mm -hmm. practice. It's a malpractice. And that is, we're not, yeah. we are not hating it, we are condemning it. It's abnormal. And those who have been entangled in it, we are simply saying, come out and seek help. Help is readily available. Once you have been patched, you have been rehabilitated, you'll be back to normal life. And if you realize that most of them, most of them, they, they already behave that knowing that whatever they are doing is not right. They are self-judging themselves, even before people say anything. They become so defensive. They think they are always the victim. So one of the things that you uh, haven't told us about yet, and that's about the European Union, and what's going on there? We hear that there are new pressures coming against Africa from the uh, from something called the ACP EU Treaty Partnership. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, uh, John Henry, you raised a very important topic about the, the ACP EU Treaty. Uh, as you would know, uh, the countries in the African, uh, Pacific, and the Caribbean regions had come together uh, way back in the 70s, you know, to, to form a, a block 
uh, with that block, they have been able to, to negotiate and engage with other countries or other organizations for social and economic development and trade and finance um, on matters. And the association between the European Union and the member states of the Africa, Caribbean, and Pacific has been on the basis of um, uh, trade, finance, and economic development. And uh, later on, they had to bring in the issues of democratic governance. We started with the Bridgetown Treaty, and then in the Bridgetown Treaty uh, came to a renewal in the year to, in the 2000, and thinking from the 2000, we got into the uh, Cotonou Agreement, and the Cotonou Agreement, again, built, still, I mean, its foundations are still the same, trade, finance, and social and economic development, and the uh, democratic governance. So this has been the manner in which the Africa, Caribbean, and Pacific has, on one hand, has been engaging with the European Union. Now, the Cotonou Agreement was due for renewal, I think, in the year 2020. So at that point, new discussions started to look into how do we come up with a new agreement that would further this kind of relationship, but at the same time, take advantage of the new emerging issues that would enhance the, uh, the, the trade and economic development. What we didn't know is our friends on the European side, they had other ideas hmm. and uh, they felt they would still want you know, to use this uh, kind of relationship and push as much as uh, they possibly can all those uh, alien ideologies, uh, agendas, because they will be embedded is within an, an agreement that talks about, uh, uh, that talks about uh, trade and economic development. Until you go into the fine print of the agreement, that's when you are able to see uh, these uh, disturbing uh, texts contained in the agreement. And mm -hmm. I should be quick to say, unless you have some knowledge and you have got uh, a referencing library, some of the text in the ACPEU agreement would read it to be very innocent and unsuspecting. Mm -hmm. But when you go into the library where the way, such words are being defined, for example, the word comprehensive sexuality, it would sound like just fine. Until you go into the reference library, you get to know what comprehensive sexuality means. It means all the LGBTs. When they talk about um, sexual reproductive health rights, it means uh, abortions. So when we've been able to scrutinize the text and we've come across uh, uh, these disturbing provisions and we are interrogating why this is supposed to be agreement an agreement that advances trade finance economic mm. development and democratic governance another disturbing point is for some reason there has been so much highlighting of human rights and you know very well that in the area of human rights is in the purview of the un un's commission on, on human rights the united nations had to set aside a specific arm that deals with issues of human rights. And that is their speciality. 
and you get to see some of the conditions now that are being placed in the agreement under which a consideration for granting of aid to the member states of the Africa, Caribbean, and Pacific would be made. They will have mm. to meet certain <laughs> criteria. And such criteria is whether they have accepted these uh, foreign practices. The new agreement is um, uh, causing a lot of anxieties amongst the member states of the African, Caribbean, and Pacific. And some national parliaments like Uganda, they are making it very clear that they will not be keen to see their president uh, signing this agreement. Because at this point, it has just been uh, initialized and only by maybe one or two foreign affairs minister who has initialized or ambassador. But, it has, but the rest of the uh, member states haven't, and let alone the heads of state have not yet signed it. But there's so much push to make sure this gets signed. And yes, we would want such an agreement if it indeed it does not contain any toxic, poisonous text. We would want mm -hmm. it to be passed because yeah. it's progressive. It's going to help our relationships. And because of this relationship, we will be able, the member states from the African, Caribbean, Pacific will be able to engage in a, a meaningful trade. We'll be able to mm -hmm. access the European market. And likewise, yeah. the, uh, the products coming from the European uh, producers who also find their way on the African, Caribbean, and Pacific markets. Mm -hmm. And apart from that, also, there'll be other socioeconomic programs in the areas of health, education, agriculture, and uh, justice. But we want this to happen without uh, bait and switch, without uh, conditions that would compel member states of the ACP to make compromises. As sovereign states, we want to make sure anything that seems to challenge our sovereignty, anything that seems to threaten uh, values such as family, religious, and uh, traditional, these are things that we can't make a compromise on. Mm -hmm. And the elements, the provisions in the treaty, they're actually targeting to threaten our sovereignty that we can't choose for ourselves what is good for us. They are challenging our family values by introducing ideas that are going to be uh, unacceptable in our family setup. They are challenging our traditional values in that indeed when we are uh, known to be traditionalists, we should now deal away with our traditional values and embrace foreign culture. For example, mm -hmm. in the African culture, people, some cultures in Africa, or the, it's acceptable for people to get into a polygamy, provided you are able to provide for your uh, family. The Europeans would be forcing us not to practice polygamy. And in some cases, we've made concessions. Now we are saying, in our culture, we can't accept same-sex marriage, but they are forcing it on us. Now, I was talking about the ACP-EU treaty. So some of the provisions, they are actually uh, threatening the sovereignty, the values such as family, uh, religious, and traditional values. There are specific articles that I could be citing, which are uh, quite disturbing. Another article should be Article 8081. It talks about uh, 
establishing a, a, a joint a council of ministers from the European Union and from the African Caribbean Pacific who will be able to make binding decisions that will be able to, uh, to be imposed on the member states. And those binding decisions, they will be challenging the already existing commitments and the provisions that the, in the regional blocks we have already accepted. For example, in the East and Western African ECOWAS, within their region, they have got some provisions which are good for them. But because of this new treaty, the binding decision that will come from the Joint Council of Ministers from the ACP and the European Union would be watering down uh, provisions and the decision that will have been put in place by the regional blocs. So in other words, we will not have our own standing uh, because we will be dictated by decisions coming from the ACPEU Joint Council of Ministers. And another uh, observation that the member states are fearing, it appears the EU would want to use a back door to ride on the votes of the member states of the ACP who are members of the UN in advancing EU's agenda by getting the ACP members to rally behind the EU, the EU whenever it wants to raise a matter that would need maybe a vote. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. If you could tell us, Honorable Songwei, I think there are still, even despite the fact that our governments are frankly crazy, there are a lot of people in Canada, in the United States, in Europe, who still support family values, want to support Africa. How can we do that? How can we help you from here? And what can you do to help us? One thing you are doing, I can tell you right now, by standing firm on the family values, you are helping us. You seem to be, Africa seems to be, it's like the last place on earth that's holding strong to God's law for the family. And for that very reason, you're a huge blessing to us. What can we do to help you? We need, first of all, to get as many voices to come to the party to start making their stand clear without any ambiguity in terms of what we should be standing for as the lawmakers, uh, particularly uh, Muslims and uh, Christians. So we need to get as many progressive, willing, uh, lawmakers to come into a kind of a coalition that will be speaking in unison, whether in all manner, in all international forums. For example, those who go to the uh, UN's International Parliamentary Union Forum, they should be able to stand up, to stand up and talk about in defense of uh, 
life, in defense of family, in, in defense of culture, in defense of tradition. Those who go to the Pan-African Parliament again, they should be able to raise these matters. Those who go to the Commonwealth Parliament Forum again, they should be able to raise these matters. And those of us who go to the ACP-EU Joint Parliamentary Assembly, we should be able to raise these matters. The more voices are coming out in defense of the family, in defense of life, in defense of religion, in defense of the tradition and culture, it is when we start winning these battles. Because the forces we are contending with, they are so, one, they are well financed. They have access to a purse. And these are not small persons. These are huge persons. They control huge sums of money. And they are so determined to do in all manner by hook or crook to make sure uh, their ideologies get pushed down our throats. And those who would want to stand, I should be very honest, they're going to be repercussions. But I think, first and foremost, we should be able to stand up and stand out. We should be respected. That's because we might not, we might be struggling in providing for our citizens that should not in any way reduce us to be people that who can't make a decisions independently, who can't choose on what is right for us and not right for us. Number two, we need to raise the awareness, awareness amongst lawmakers, awareness amongst our youth, awareness amongst our uh, members of the faith community, awareness amongst our lawyers about, because lawyers, they also need to understand these issues. Sometimes uh, you get the impression that probably uh, uh, our friends in the League of Fraternity, uh, <laughs> because they have the, the opportunity to make interpretations of what laws mean, sometimes um, they would be make, they are bound to make mistakes. They are human beings. So we need, we need also to sensitize them about these uh, dangerous pitfalls, about what these threats mean to the future uh, of our families, to the future of our nations, to the future of our children. And apart from that, I think uh, also they the, the awareness can be raised not only in these kind of normal setups, but even also whenever there's an opportunity, uh, people are meeting. We need to take advantage of such forums, of such uh, places to raise these issues. The more people are aware, the more people become aware of these intricacies, of these uh, underhands, the way they are dealing, the manipulation, it is when now we'll start winning this war. Because in some communities, people are suspecting, they think everything is nice when they hear these programs about reproductive health, when they hear these programs about youth awake. But what they don't know is these are uh, recruiting grounds where recruitment of the youth is taking place to get into this. I was shocked in Uganda. I met a young man who narrated his story very disturbing story, how he was recruited and how he was empowered to get as many youth as he possibly can to get into this uh, 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 group 
of um, uh, people that are advancing the same-sex ideologies. Apart from that, uh, yeah, when we make this uh, stand as lawmakers, not that it will, will be just left like this, there could be repercussions, <laughs> serious repercussions. And uh, if knowing that uh, we can count on organizations that are in favor, that are standing with us, I think it is very, very comforting. Members of the faith community, we need to be thinking out of the box. We should mm -hmm. be looking at uh, having our own facilities where we can teach our children the real values. When mm -hmm. we let our children go to public schools where, you know, some teachers misguided, they could be indoctrinating uh, our children with foreign uh, ideologies. And that is dangerous. But when we, the churches, Christian organizations, start owning schools and we bring our children to those schools, we ground them in the family religious values, there is hope mm -hmm. for tomorrow. Honorable Sangway, thank you so much for standing true for God's law, for the family, for your country of Malawi, and for all of Africa, and uh, for showing us the way. Uh, I'm just very grateful. Thank you for coming on the program. John Henry, it was a pleasure. And uh, I am so grateful for this fantastic opportunity. Opportunity that uh, uh, I was able to share with you uh, my uh, perspective. And in terms of us to bring you up to speed in terms of what's happening in other uh, arenas. But I am hopeful. And I've said this on numerous occasions. God is on our side. The situation might look to be blink, but God will prevail. And it is this faith that is keeping me going on this crusade. So it was a pleasure uh, to have this uh, very, very important discourse with you. And I, I thank you very much. And also when there are opportunities for capacity building, I think it would be appreciated to, you know, to make those uh, opportunities available for capacity building, uh, uh, knowledge building, and also to be able to exchange the views and to exchange the happenings uh, in our region. Thank you very much again, John Henry. Thank you, Honorable Sangwe. God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.